Ah, good evening, everybody, and uh, welcome to another Sunday Night Live. Hello, Lynn, Michelle, Kavita, Christine, Dennis, Michelle, Emma. Good evening. Anyway, I'd like to um, welcome Mr. Nick Kyle from um, Scotland, a very interesting man. He blows me away with his, the stuff he talks about. So, oh, bonjour, Mr. Paul. Oh, no. And um, I'm sure you will enjoy the evening. Vanessa um, can't make it tonight. She's, she's got a migraine, and so she can't come here this evening. Um, just waiting for I've got quite a few. Hello, Emma. Just uh, waiting to see who's coming on. Um, anyway, what else you... Hello, Nick. Nice to meet you. Oh, there you go. Well, plenty of questions. Hello, Trevor. Hello. Hello, Trevor. How you doing, mate? Coming on already. Steve. Right. We'll crack on then. We're underway. Um, hello, Brenda. Okay, Nick. Um, usual thing is, how did you get into this? <laughs> What's your story, as they say? Um, as a child, I lived for a few years in a village called South Banahulish near Glencoe on the west coast of Scotland. And the, the first thing that I noticed uh, was that the stones seemed to shine sometimes. They pulsed with an energy. And indeed, I liked to hold them or put my lie down with my back against them because I could feel a connection. And I began to explore as a child the, the hills, the, the, the river that ran through the village, or the stream, I would call it. And, uh, and I found that there were several locations within the village where the, the earth seemed to pulse with an energy. In my teenage years, that strong physical sensation, that, that sense of a presence or, or, or earth energy began to develop into hearing voices. Uh, not often and never of great concern, but I am the son of a clergyman and I, I, I did ask uh, another uh, lay pastor, um, uh, what, what do I do about these voices? And he said, oh, it's the Holy Spirit, you're blessed, you know, don't let it bother you. And I didn't have the heart to tell the man, it didn't sound like God or the Holy Spirit, it sounded like my grandmother. And indeed, my grandmother seemed to know what was happening in my life, although she had died many years previously. So I began to focus on these energy impressions, uh, these occasional voices. And I developed it in what most people would call clairsentience, the ability to sense in the environment and sometimes from handling objects something about the owner or the previous contact in terms of energy. So I could shake someone's hand or I could, I could enter a room and have some sense of what happened recently to that person or in that location. And when I was in my 20s, I did a lot of reading. And in my 30s, I met a man who impressed me greatly, the late Professor Archie Roy who had been the president of the Society for Psychical Research in London, but had set up as his own sister society, the Scottish SPR. 
and uh, he gave lectures on the history of spiritualism. And at the end of the lecture series, when I asked him for more, he said, well, I'm about to set up a society for lectures. And he did so, I think, in 1987. And eventually I became the president of that society when I took over from him. And what happened was um, for about 30 years, I've been involved in um, uh, investigations of spontaneous cases and claims uh, coming at it from a psychical research background, but also from an experiencer's perspective. And sometimes people have said to me that what makes me a little bit different from other investigators is that I have mediumship sensitivities. And what makes me different from the typical believers and experiencers is that I still look for evidence. I want things to be evidence-led. So I have this uneasy balancing act between the desire to look for evidence and the acknowledgement that the miraculous things that people hear of can and do happen, and sometimes they've happened to me. Apart from uh, with that as well, you was also um, a teacher, weren't you, Nick? Yeah, in my career I was uh, deputy head in a large Scottish secondary for 22 years. Did you find, I know when your bio you said they, they you were known as the, was it the quiet medium? <laughs> was that because, um, was that because of um, maybe your job? Well, I found that um, I couldn't really mention that I, I talked to dead people because lots of colleagues uh, didn't like me saying that. They felt that it undermined any authority I had and some born-again Christian parents uh, would have objected to me being in charge of the child's education. So I kept it fairly quiet. Only very close colleagues knew what I was doing. Indeed, some of them consulted me because they had problems uh, of a paranormal nature emerging in their own lives. But it was until I retired, really, that I, I began to change. About a month before I retired, uh, Radio Scotland uh, heard uh, about me and did a, a secret identities program in which they said by day he's a deputy head teacher, by night he talks to dead people and investigates the paranormal. And it, it seemed to make a lot of people smile, just like yourself, Alex. <laughs> no, it's brilliant. brilliant. Yeah, yeah I, I, think, um, I think what it does do is it suggests that even people who are intellectually able and in high performing positions can still believe in these paranormal experiences as being real. And I don't rate myself as being intellectually gifted or particularly great at running a school, but I know what I know and I'm not afraid to tell it. Well, when you think you had Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Sir William Crooks uh, and those kind of people, I mean, um, they were all involved with the spiritualism, weren't they? You know, yeah. sort of high-profile high characters. Well, Professor Archie Roy uh, was a, a, an astronomer with an impressive record within astronomy. And uh, it was him that led me into the whole area of how can you study these things? Absolutely fascinating. Um, I mean, Scotland, <clears throat> I suppose being half Scots as well, is... Um, I feel there's more, and I've, I've actually read this, but there's 
people from sort of further north you go, the, the more linked in they are with the spirit world. I don't know if you would agree with that. I was told this by a medium a long time ago. Um, and well. Scott, Scotland has produced some really magnificent mediums, Adam Duncan, Dee Dee Hume, etc. And so are the Welsh with Alec Harris and Jack Webber. And it makes you, you know, it makes you think perhaps there is a better connection. Well, I'm biased because I'm Scottish and proud of it and, uh, and happy to show people around what I regard as a very mystical earth energy kind of uh, uh, place. Uh, some very special places that are active and, and some people would describe them as being in the hot seat when they go there. Um, also, we have a tolerance of uh, Highland Second Sight as being a natural gift, uh, maybe even a gift from God. And uh, there's a mysticism and a Celtic uh, mythology behind a lot of uh, Scottish beliefs. But I happen to know that there's not just a background in Scotland of witchcraft, but, but also spiritualism had a big impact in the city of Glasgow. I mean, we probably had more mediums and people attending spiritualist churches than anywhere in the UK, except perhaps London. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know that. It's uh, yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, you know, I've I've been read, I've obviously read about a lot of mediums from from your part of the world, and um, there's also other things up there. I mean, I know people immediately think of Loch Ness and the Loch Ness monster. I mean, I don't know what your take is on that. Um, uh, I know um, Malcolm was talking about it a few weeks ago. You know. Um, but there's a lot of things. Uh, Alistair Crowley went there, didn't he? Bought Bolt Sky and House. Yeah. Um, so yeah. with all his, his shenanigans as well. I mean, yeah, quite a lot goes on up there. I, I know some some historians say Scotland has a particularly bloody and brutal history. Um, and without wanting to get into who's responsible for that, um, such as the English, um, without wanting to get into that, what, what it does mean is, unlike America, for example, where you can hardly find a house that's more than 200 years old, um, in Scotland we have an ancient history. We have standing stone to rival Stonehenge. We've got, we've got massive um, ancient uh, monuments and burial grounds. And, and these are uh, openly accessible in many cases. So I think some people expect there to be haunted castles and not just um not just modern day spiritualists yeah it's, it's a massive history isn't it um you know what i'm gonna ask you but before i ask you um people out there i don't know if ever how many of you have heard of the skull or say that i call it the skull project i think it's called the skull experiment i'm not quite sure and um nick was telling me He's going to tell you now about his invite to the Skull Project. And if nobody's heard of it, then obviously ask some questions later. Um, I've actually been to Skull. It's not that far from where I live, really. Um, but it's all fenced off now, unfortunately. But uh, I know a lot of you will be interested in this. So perhaps you want to uh, let us know how you got involved with that, Nick. 
and what happened of course as well yeah um i've always been interested in physical mediumship and associated physical phenomena because to me it represents the gold standard of evidence that something is genuinely happening uh, with the physical mediums. Um, in a way that's different from mind or mental mediumship, which can sometimes be dismissed as telepathy. It's difficult to do that with a materialised being whom you're able to shake hands with or hug or talk to at length. Um, especially uh, where it can be corroborated in front of multiple witnesses. Um, so that's always been an interest of mine. And I was very friendly with the late Albert Best, a very uh, well-known healer uh, and also a gifted medium. And I asked him about physical phenomena, and in his answer he said, there is only one place that I know in England that is taking guests from the, the, the public, uh, by invitation, but at least it's open to a degree. He said, I'll write you a letter of introduction, he said, and uh, hopefully on that basis they'll let you attend at least one of their seances. And uh, not long after that, he died. And one of the things that I missed was that opportunity to be introduced to a group. And a few months later, I got an invitation, and it was from a group in school. Now, Albert told me that the group he was thinking of, which I think was school, was the only group that would demonstrate with a very high degree of success to strangers. Uh, most physical uh, mediumship groups are closed groups or they greatly restrict who is invited in because it affects the blend of energies and the you have to have a kind of ongoing relationship to really maximise the energy available. However, what was I invited to take part in? Probably the most impressive series of seances that's ever been held, uh, certainly in the, in the last hundred years or so. Here was a group of four people, it started as six, and they were able to demonstrate time after time after time over 200 different types of phenomena and they never failed, they never had a blank sitting, they never had something where nothing happened. So, having heard that that was uh, the case, I was quite excited uh, to go down in uh, September 1996 and take part in a sitting with my wife and also three uh, other people from Scotland, there was a group of five of us, we joined a group of five from England or they might have been uh, disparate individuals, but um, there were 10 visitors and four in the school group. The school group described themselves as all being mediums, but the two who seemed to be in deep trance were um, and Alan and, uh, and Diana. Um, they, uh, they seemed to go into a deep trance and bring through spirit even more than Robin Foy, who was the, officially the host, and his organiser wife, who contributed energy, I'm sure. So, um, uh, I can say to you that there is no greater successful demonstration to the general public in recent uh, decades. They invited, in 30 sittings, to open to the public, they invited scientists from all over Europe, of all different persuasions, 
uh, including the late Professor Archie Rogers, an astronomer, but also professors of electrical engineering and physics and, and all the sciences that you would want to call upon. And they all saw phenomena. And indeed, they weren't restricted to the village of school in Norfolk, where they had their, their uh, house that Robin and Sandra Foy lived in, uh, and Alan Diana and uh, Diana Bennett visited. They also demonstrated in uh, at least in Ibiza, I think, in one or two other European countries, and also in America. And uh, NASA uh, was invited to observe, and they they also had a successful sitting. But they, they don't want to talk about it. They don't even want to acknowledge that they were present. And lots of scientists have gone on record to say there is something inexplicable happening here, something that would use up the laws of physics, something really challenging, but it's difficult to explain. But I suppose what you really want to hear is, OK, so that's that's the situation. What did you actually experience? What, what would you nail your colours to the mast with? And I'm happy to, to tell you that if that's what you want to hear. I'm sure they do. Um, I was looking, you know, going back over Robin Foy's book. Um, he sat before he, he began the skull project. He sat with the uh, the great Leslie Flint in um, in Holland Park, the um, direct voice medium, another yep. rare another rare gift and. Um, Robin actually went, didn't he, from uh, East London all the way into Essex, Romford and places. And he was doing this for quite a long time. I think it was a Noah's Ark Society. Um, Robin has got a long history of, sort of promoting physical mediumship. Mm. Um, he was a founder member of the Noah's Ark Society. Um, he, uh, he still, even to this day, actively promotes physical mediumship as an area of special interest. And uh, and indeed, he's about, I think, to open up a centre. I think it's in uh, Spain. which uh, He intends to have a platform for really re-engaging with the level of phenomena that he once enjoyed in the late 1990s. Oh, fantastic stuff. I don't think you get that, really. You may do. You may, you may not get it. I'm sure people, I mean do sit and I'm sure they do get phenomena, but um, you don't hear much about it. Um, I had been sitting for many years before the school experiments and my jaw dropped because the level of phenomena was was really quite spectacular and different from what I was used to. I was used to seeing the occasional orb and, and feeling a drop in temperature and physical touch and the sense of presence and some Sometimes direct voice, and sometimes, uh, very rarely though, uh, a ports or um, uh, the kind of mediumship or accurate clairvoyance, which suggested that you were in touch with something beyond yourself. And after school, the school experiments, uh, the two that I attended, um, I spent 10 years trying to replicate the phenomena with very mixed success, pretty much disappointing levels of success. But I have more to say about that uh, later in our chat, because uh, although school was groundbreaking and uh, phenomenal and transformative for me, it's not the only physical seances where I've been powerfully influenced by what's happened. 
Indeed, in Glasgow, I've been in restaurants where tables have slid about and on one occasion levitated with no one touching it. And, and then a second table began to move and so on. So these things can happen in, in the public domain and bright lights and busy restaurants. And uh, yeah, it, to me, it, it, school is a marker for I finally saw what I had been told could happen. And from that moment on, I knew it, it can and did happen. Well, I'll be demonstrating, hopefully, I'm doing a thing Friday. And I like to split my evenings up and um, it ends normally with table levitation, table tipping. And I find most people, well, I do find people enjoy it. And a few weeks ago, I just went to this place where I'm working in Lowestoft and I just touched the table, just put my finger, you can feel it. And I thought, well, we still got it. And then it went, it started to move. And, it, and these are heavy tables. These are like, not oak, but they're heavy. And um, oh, we've got quite a lot coming here tonight. Um, get your questions ready, guys. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm getting cold sitting here talking now. Um, getting back to um, you, you was going to tell us what happened actually in the, in the room, but um, before I forget, you, you've already mentioned it. But do you think anybody could replicate what they did in school? No, I don't think no. no no one can, but I would say it, it's not something available to anyone who wants it. Mm. Yeah. I think there are conditions that have to be met. And, and if I go through what I experienced, I think most people would say that's not for everyone. That's, that's a special, rare gift. But the fact that it can happen once means that it can happen again. I, I don't know how long... With me, I, I, I feel mediumship and what I do, I always put it along the lines of a musician. You know, when I was a guitar player, if I had gigs, I'd still practice six hours a day, still play. And I feel that with mediumship, you've got to keep going. You, you can't just do it once a week, once a fortnight. And unfortunately, it's finding the, the people to sit every day. I'd sit every day, every night. And um, we were doing this like uh, just over a year ago and uh, with results here. But um, it's people, I suppose, are so busy nowadays and it's a shame. But but I do, I think you've got to be at this 24-7. And I, I think it is, it is possible to have individuals being well-developed physical mediums. But I mm. think it's more common to have a group of people involved in the production of physical phenomena and uh, of course that raises questions about what's the contribution of the group is it just the number of disparate individuals each making individual contributions no it's the bonding and the relationship and the energy created by the group entrainment the group thinking the group feeling and what we found was that the phenomena seemed to follow laughter and 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 uh, a good rapport and, and feelings of bliss and excitement rather than studying monitors and trying to monitor the environment and mm. you know doubt everything that happened. In fact, the way I describe it is that you want a relationship with spirit. Well, there's two main pathways. One is to be 
respectful and appreciative and complimentary and positive and so on. And maybe, as in common with most human relationships, maybe a relationship will form. But would you have a relationship that was productive and positive if your attitude was, I don't really believe in you and I want to find out how you're managing to con people, so I'm going to be as strict with you as I can. By the way, take your clothes off because you need to do some intimate searching. Can you imagine a relationship being built in that? And what spirit say is, you're having a great time here. Why should we join you? You're all sitting in the dark with glum faces, doubting everything you see and hear. How can we work with that energy? So there is something to be said about the nature of the group. They are, yeah. I've got a thing here from Stacy Spark, who's come here next week. Spirit, when you find a balance of experience in life as well as trying to get evidence of the afterlife, don't let it overwhelm your life. No, that's not what I was saying, actually. It doesn't overwhelm, but um, I feel you've got to make time. It, there is a balance. It is a balance, but that's no different than us saying and playing music. You know, it's uh, it's all the same thing. You've got to, got to knuckle down. And um, it's, um, someone who talks about life and the afterlife as if they are exclusively separate experiences is making a fundamental mistake, I would suggest. They're the same life. It's just that what we see physically has dominated our education and the way we're conditioned. And if we could see with different uh, expectations, uh, with an expanded consciousness, we would see the afterlife because it's here at the same time. It's made of the same stuff, if you like. It's about consciousness experiencing energy. So, you're going to tell us what happened in that in that seance room, aren't you? Yep, yep. I'm happy to because it was a really impressive phenomenon. Can I just tell you, though, a little bit about the, the people who went because it will help you to understand um, the, the, the caliber of the witnesses. Um, there was someone who was a university head of computer services. There was a qualified uh, hypnotherapist. There was someone in a national training position for a big company. There were two uh, deputy head teachers, um, uh, one of whom had a research degree, that's me. Um, uh, we weren't new to the spiritualist scene. We'd sat in circles over the years. We had attended successful physical demonstrations, trans demonstrations. One of our group had even led a course in physical mediumship that was well received and judged uh, felt to be successful. We could be entitled to be critical of mediumship demonstrations, but on that occasion, when we visited uh, the school group for the first time, our traditional expectations of what physical phenomena were about did very little to prepare us for the sustained visual phenomena we all saw. And that's not just the, all the people, the five people in the Scottish group, but the English uh, uh, visitors as well, and sometimes even members of the, the host group of four. Um, Alan and Diana Bennett tended to be in deep trance, but Robin and Sandra could talk about what they were seeing. And we came from uh, Glasgow in Ayrshire. We'd been sitting for years together, and we knew each other. We could trust each other. And in my case, I was uh, a member of the Scottish Society for Psychical Research, I was frustrated in my, in, for, in my interest in physical mediumship 
because frankly, I was beginning to doubt whether the kind of things I was reading about were ever going to happen for me. But I made a promise, and I said, if spirit can manifest unambiguously uh, in front of me uh, with the corroboration of witnesses, and if I was allowed even to touch spirit, I knew how profound it would be uh, affecting me, and I knew that I would pursue physical mediumship and the study of it um, afterwards. So... The most evidential event for me personally in this two-hour, uh, two-and-a-half-hour experience was that in blackout conditions for around one hour, maybe just over an hour, lights appeared like large LEDs, particularly powerful, and they moved responsively around the circle at high speeds. They illuminated their surroundings, so they weren't some kind of anomalous dust particle. Um, they entered solid objects. I saw one enter a crystal which glowed from the inside. And this wasn't a crystal with some electrical battery-operated circuit or something. I, I checked it afterwards. But a crystal that glowed. And then these orbs passed through the table. And for those of you who think, ah, that's the, the light is, is going down, it switches off above the table and it switches on uh, below the table and you get the impression that it's going through the table. No, 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 no. It went into the bodies of some of the participants, right into their torso, and they reacted physically with the sensation. Uh, one of the things that happened is it happened to my, my wife, uh, Sarah. Now, I had never seen these energy lights or orbs uh, before in such numbers and uh, so uh, bright and so many of them, we didn't need electric light. We could see each other um, as the lights moved around the room. And when I asked before the seance, is it going to be total blackout or can we have sunlight? Robin Foyle laughed and he said, don't worry about switching on lights, but it will do all that for you. And so they did. It was, uh, it was fantastic. Anyway, uh, what else? Um, they, uh, they illumined the surroundings, they sped around at high speeds, they never hit anyone, never uh, collided, uh, it was intelligently controlled, and I don't even think that if it was possible to have a miniaturised drone, that that level of dexterity would have been um, possible, especially in a relatively small room. Um, and even if David Copperfield was the consultant for the project, and he managed to to, to produce some conjuring magic. The, there's no way that anyone like him could have tickled the inside of my partner's rib cage, my, my wife's ribs, as she squealed, not in pain, but in shock, as she was tickled from inside her rib cage. But anyway, let's move on. Um, I was pleased that I had witnessed uh, before uh, some of these things, but now I was astounded. A materialized hand came and moved an object on the table, a bowl, a disembodied but direct voice conversed with us from the centre of the room. My wife levitated while sitting in a chair. Bells swayed and rang with no one touching them. Several people were touched, including me. I, I, I said um, other people have been touched, but I'm not, and I was told to hold out my hand. And as soon as I did, a light shot round at 180 degrees and touched my hand repeatedly, just as I'm doing just now. And I said, is it okay if I close my hand? And I did 
and I could feel it jumping about from the palm of my hand to my fingers. And I clasped my hand on top of it and turned it like that to see if there was any wire or string or nylon fishing line attached, and there was nothing. And the, the, the little ball, if you like, was still jumping about in my hands. And when I let it go, it came up, shone its light in my face, and then sped off like a bullet again. Now, it's difficult to falsify these things. I would say impossible, and I'll come back to that later. Um, what else? Um, uh, there was a, there was for two hours, certainly an hour and a half. Um, there was accurate clairvoyance. There was um, spirit entities were able to speak through the transmediums and also directly. Um, uh, the journey home that night, there was a high-speed buzz of chatter. We tried to process the sheer quantity and quality of spectacular light phenomena. And I bought a crystal from the group, a white quartz crystal. And when we sat at home for the first time after school, we put it on the coffee table and it glowed. You could have read a piece of paper uh, from holding it beside it. It glowed and diminished over the course of two hours. And the second time we met, it still glowed but it was much less. And then there was only tiny little pinpricks of spark, like electricity coming from it, and it stopped going, and it's never glowed since. So there is something happening at school that was able to energize a crystal, but something not happening with me and my home circle back in Scotland, even the same people, and we couldn't keep that kind of phenomena going. Now, um, People who then listened to me talk about what I'd experienced scratched their heads. They knew that I had integrity. I have no desire to lie or to impress. They knew I had a healthy scepticism, but they didn't know what to make of transformative experiences that were corroborated by a dozen people. So they had to just say, well, it was a one-off. I was told by Robin Foy I, there wouldn't be a second visit. It was a one-in-a-chance lifetime because there were so many people wanting that. And then six months later, he said, would you come back? And I said, but I thought the visit was just a once in a lifetime opportunity. He said, well, so did we. But the spirit team want to try and experiment the likes of which they've never done before. And they want the most powerful energies available to them. We want the five people from Scotland back. And we went back and they cherry picked five people from England and we sat and our second visit was very similar. But we'd been told to expect more advanced phenomena because now the spirit team were aware of our individual energies and, and that knowledge helped them to build them up even more. The, the host said that they had been working in those six months and they'd made significant progress in the phenomena they were able to produce. And I can say to you on behalf of the group of people, because we've spoken about it obviously since, even taking account of the first visit and the phenomena we, see, we saw, we were astounded as a group of five spiritually experienced people by what we saw the second time. It started same small basement room of painted brick. I had checked previously as before, and in that room, there were small pale green and, and uh, blue lights streaking around us, sometimes partially, sometimes momentarily. 
again, illuminating what would otherwise have been a blackout room. But the difference this time is some of these lights were hooded. In other words, they were like torch beams. They seemed to have direction. And uh, sometimes, uh, as they whizzed around their head, they would uh, identify an object on the coffee table, but the searchlights would be coming down, focusing on the object as the light spun round. Try doing that with a drone, or try doing that with 20 lights in the room in which they're maybe focused on someone's face, and they buzz round the room, uh, and they always maintain the focus. There was no doubt there was intelligent and dexterity to the control. And sometimes these lights would hover inches from our hands and feet and faces, allowing other people in the group to unambiguously corroborate what we were seeing. And then we realised what we had come for, because the mediums in trance said, we're about to try and show you phenomena, the likes of which have never been seen before in the school experiments. Now they themselves, the mediums, weren't sure exactly what it would be, they said that their spirit communicator said these phenomena are coming from dimensions to which the spirit team did not have access normally, and we waited. For me, it seemed fanciful, and I felt dubious that it might actually happen. Given what we'd already experienced, how could that be bettered? How, what could they possibly do that would really just blow your mind, as it were? And then the lights appeared. It was like looking up in a constellation, you're looking at the universe. And I thought to myself, in my ignorance, I'm sitting in a candid camera setup. Somebody's built a planetarium of light optic fibers, and somebody somewhere is manipulating a computer to show these lights moving in a kind of clockwise manner around their heads. So it's an optical illusion somehow. And then the lights came down to where we were and began to manipulate objects and people. And we realized you can't do that even with three-dimensional holographic projectors. You can't get them to physically touch anything. And then the light uh, bl blue beams and white beams began to almost be drawn in front of us and then filled with three-dimensional translucent shapes and these shapes, including a classic flying saucer shape, began to fly around the room. They were about two feet in, uh, in uh, diameter, and there were about six, five, six different shapes. One looked like a chunk of cheese in its shape, you know, a triangle with a rounded end. end. Uh, another looked like a helicopter, but no helicopter blades. But one was carrying something underneath in a couple of lines, uh, as if it was moving with the object uh, pulling it above it, just as you would expect in a, in a, a helicopter. There were um, uh, a, there was a triangular wedge, as I've mentioned, and they seemed to be exploring the room as they moved around it. It's almost as if the, whoever was manipulating the craft could focus on a person or an object and illuminate it for the rest of the group. Then two horizontal tubes of light were shown to us, and they seemed within these tubes to be carrying other hazy but irregular shapes underneath. Now, I couldn't see clearly what was in the tubes initially, but I know that one was like a kaleidoscope, 
you looked down a tube which was roughly two feet long and you looked as if you were looking at something 12 feet in depth. That kind of dimension that you were looking into. And another tube, a pair of hands appeared. They were quite small, feminine or girls' hands, and they went round each sitter as if they were blessing or praying to the sitter, acknowledging the sitter. And then they would open and close and move to the next person and open and close. And I could see clearly the detail of the hand and the nails. I don't know how to possibly fake that. My partner, Sarah, um, saw the hands too and agreed that this one that pair of hands seemed feminine as it passed it. Could this have been a holographic light show? Could it be when the images, uh, three-dimensional images, were maintained at speed and didn't blur, didn't lose their sense of, of having a clear outline? Some of them went round my feet. Some of them uh, interacted with me bodily. Some of them went under the coffee table and seemed to come through it. Some went into objects and lit them up and levitated them. Could it have been tiny model noiseless uh, aircraft that, that human beings created that could gyrate and hover and streak around the great speeds um, coming to rest on the palms of our hands without error was it was it an example of secret anti-gravitational devices was it a hidden ventriloquist who was able also to give accurate clairvoyance I, my head was buzzing with possibilities but one of the things I do for a hobby is I work in the film and television industry, or have done as a driver, and I happen to meet a couple of special effects guys. Um, I better not name them, but they were worked for Sony Pictures. And I said to them, guys, if I gave you an unlimited budget, could you create this within this size of room? And they said, no. I mean, no, 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 no. If I made each of you a millionaire overnight, could you CGI produce this three-dimensional hologram that whizzes around. They said, no, come on. And they said, let me explain why. There were three of them. They said, to create a hologram, you need three projectors. They need to be an oil-based platforms because even a vehicle 30 feet away driving the road could produce a vibration that would be picked up if they weren't oil dampened. These things are the size of large sofa chairs. So you're not going to get three of them in a room and you describe them as moving under an objects and round legs and so on. Uh, we can't do that. We need constant line of sight. Plus, at the level of our technology in the 1990s, the faster an object moves, the more it blurs. You're describing objects that never blur. And I accepted that technology couldn't fake that kind of experience. So, obviously, if I'm animated and I'm energized, even just telling the story, just recalling the story, There'll be some people sitting saying, yeah, but you're hiding something. You know, there's something underneath this story, maybe a negative doubt, concern, criticism. And I believe in giving a story what and all. And I believe in not holding anything back and letting people decide for themselves. So what would a more critical view of the school group be? Well, it wouldn't be to deny the phenomena. But it might be to talk about what the spirit team, the mediums, claimed. 
They claimed that the spirit team said we're going to launch a new dawn of man-spirit communication and we're going to do it right here and right now. Now, it's been 20 years. Would you say there's been a new dawn of man-spirit communication? I wouldn't. Certainly not one that's had widespread influence. So the purpose may have failed. And yet, look at me. I'm still talking about it 20 years later as being a very significant and transformative experience. And I'll say this anywhere in the world to any audience that wants to listen, and I'll never take a penny for it. And I know from over 20 years of speaking that I can do this and that nobody can see I'm doing it for money or attention. I've not even written a book about it. It's just I turned down the offer to do that. I just want to be truthful. I did see I did see a small plane. It would have been about an inch and a half, maybe two inches long. Uh, an orb that was so bright it looked spherical landed on the carpet near my, my foot and momentarily the light dimmed and I could see a little dumpy aeroplane like this. Tiny little wings and even tinier tail. And, it, and it, it lit up, became a spherical orb again and flew off. So there is some mechanism for animating the flight gyrations of these orbs. But that doesn't mean to say that they were man-made. This thing that I saw was like something out of Toy Story. It couldn't fly unless you made a cartoon movie out of it, you know. So um, it, I, I don't normally talk about that aspect. Uh, it doesn't occur to me initially, but perhaps if people are looking for mechanisms, they could think, well, could it have been a drone? No. Why not? Well, drones have moved on a lot in the last 20 years, but show me one that can go inside people and come back out again with a plop. Show me one that you can hold and turn like that, and it's not affected um, when you then release it. Um, and anybody that's owned a drone, including myself, knows that they're not easy to control even after you've got a bit of experience and in a, in a small room try getting a dozen of them to fly around and not collide with each other it's just it's it's laughable better just to accept that in at least some occasions the so-called spirit world and i don't like that term particularly uh, other dimensions of consciousness or creation can inter interact with our 3d world which is quite clunky and dense by comparison. And I'm not talking about the sitters, intellectual abilities. I'm just talking about what spirit talk about when they come down to work with us. They say it's like wading through treacle. It's really difficult because they're operating at a higher, faster, lighter vibration or frequency. Now, I'm sorry, Alex, for talking so long. But no, I it's think, fine. Fascinating. I think I've given you... Um, uh, an idea of not just what I saw and touched and heard and felt, but a sense of, I can't explain it. And the only people I've heard trying to explain it weren't there. You know, there are armchair critics who know, who know nothing. As the, as the American veteran said, what do you know, man? You weren't even there, you know. Well, I was there and I'm willing to tell anyone what I experienced. And of course, I've got corroborated witnesses. I, I almost never talk about um, experiences I've had, while genuine maybe, without at least one reliable witness. Absolutely fascinating. 
they're probably looking now and saying that's as quiet as that Alex has ever been. But uh, <laughs> fascinating. Um, what what I was going to ask you, um, I thought this today actually. I know, um, obviously, pe new people have moved in. I would, I think, have anyway, have moved into the um, the farmhouse at school. Do you think, even if they're not into this, that there is still activity going on in that in that house? I have to hold my hand up and say I'm not aware of any stories that have come out like that. I know that house that I used to own in Glasgow that was used for seances for at least a decade. I know that there was some phenomena afterwards uh, when we were no longer there, but it didn't last long. Uh, the uh, couple concerned called the cops and uh, they discovered it was a bird that flown into the house and was mm -hmm. flying around, knocking things over and, and trashing the ornaments kind of thing. So um, even that could be explained away. No, I, I, I think actually the uh, school group uh, were particularly, maybe not unique, but rare and special in being able to tap into earth energies and anchor heaven and earth, you know, bring down kind of so-called spiritual energies and work with them. And although it wasn't part of my two uh, visits, uh, they did have so-called alien encounters. Indeed, they've got on video uh, a blue, a grey, a uh, but coloured blue, uh, just to give people a picture, all the lies and stuff, uh, who regularly uh, became a communicator. And, uh, and I was talking uh, about uh, earlier uh, about other people who have brought through the school spirit communicators physically. Blue was part of that. Right. Yeah, I think I, think I read that. Most interested. There yeah, are a, a question from Stacy. Do you feel the older the property, the more chance of it being haunted? Um, uh, spirit length of people. So if you say to me, the more people that have been in a building over time, uh, are you more likely to spirit activity? There is a sense in which you can say yes. But it's a bit more complicated than that because spirit don't normally hang about for centuries. They've got their own lives to live in the spirit world, so they tend to come through when the people that they're emotionally bonded with are still around to communicate with, and less so as the years and indeed centuries pass, because they've simply moved on to other things. Um, the other thing I would say is there is an interaction between an individual and their environment. So you could put a medium or a sensitive or a psychic into a location and get a lot of phenomena and then put somebody else in, maybe somebody who doesn't believe in these things, and you would get nothing. Now, the environment's the same, but the interaction with the individual is very different. Um, so actually, what I would say is the more a, a, a location is visited by people, the less chance you've got of getting phenomena because you get the impact of all the visitors and it kind of deadens or spreads the phenomena and it takes a gifted individual to be able to recreate that as a fresh experience. Oh, so people go to Mary King's Close in Edinburgh and they get thousands, tens of thousands of, of visitors. Years later when you return, you say the place has changed. Yeah, it's changed because 50,000 people have walked through. Mm, that's interesting. So it's not just about quantities of people. 
uh, and it's to some extent it's to do with earth energy. You know, there are certain hot spots that have been recognised by ancient peoples, and and maybe today uh, the, the modern dowser um, that I think are relevant, but they're not exclusive. You can have spiritual or uh, uh, spiritualist experiences pretty much anywhere. Oh, Christine. <clears throat> Interesting things that happened in Christine's place. I've seen the videos. Need no convince. I caught EVPs and lights on my phone. And Ed, who was on last week, did an investigation in my home. Has documented a camera fixed on top of my banister, moved 90 degrees to the left, then back. The guys were asleep as it was four in the morning, and I was asleep as they caught me snoring. Much to my shame. Yeah, I mean, you have a lot of lot of activity there don't you christine um she's followed it up with uh, nick price my investigation of court three thirty vids of cobweb like anomalies feathers voices strange block like white shapes Ooh. still recall things on occasions why has the activity become less i hope okay. they're still there can i, can I respond to christine yeah um, uh, there was a house in Seattle, allegedly the most demonic haunting in America, and the television crews had been in and left and were inconclusive. And Steve Mira invited me to go with him for a second visit. He'd quietened the place down in terms of phenomena the first time, but the place was disturbed and the uh, people were, were interfering in, uh, with the location. So the phenomena came back, and Steve and I and the medium went over and basically we quiet this down again. So I want to steer away from the notion of demons and something regard it as a haunting. Now, one of the things that happened during the week that we were there 24-7 was that we put cameras into position and we were the only people in the house and we knew where everyone was and the cameras moved. An EVP detected a conversation between two spirit people. One saying, what do you think that is that he's putting up there? And the other said, I think that's a camera, to which the first speaker said, let's get out of here. And they, they vanished. But on another occasion, they took the camera and directed it towards the wall. And on another occasion, they directed it away from the room into a corner. So I agree with you that when spirit realized they're being filmed, they seem to have a strong desire not to want to be filmed. And, of course, there are exceptions, but generally speaking, if you put your camera on, the phenomena will die, fade away. Not always, but as a generalisation. And I've investigated cases for 30 years, and I don't like the term expert, but if I am an expert, it's on how to stop the phenomena, how to reduce it, how to make it implode or evaporate. And one of the, the, the techniques Christine's already got which is you put the cameras there, and as soon as spirit realise they're being filmed, they go elsewhere. Sometimes, behind the camera, sometimes another room, and sometimes the thing dies down. Um, now, the other uh, thing that I wanted to say was in the second part of Christine's question, but I've, I don't have it in front of me. Uh, oh. you bring it up, the yeah. passage? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, why has the activity become less? Because you're showing an active investigative interest in it and it doesn't want to be proved by you. 
Um, some people talk about the cosmic trickster or the joker, you know, the phenomenon is prolific until you send in a team of scientists or researchers, investigators, and things begin to die down. As soon as the investigators leave, it can start up again sometimes. So there is an interaction between the sceptical research investigator scientist person and the phenomena. But generally speaking, I think there's a reason why we don't have more convincing footage. I mean, why is it that spirit and uh, sometimes um, cryptoids um, and UFOs, why is it they tend to choose poor footage to appear? It's almost as if they don't want to appear. And when they do, they don't want to make it easy for you. I mean, when was the last time that a spirit a person manifested in a science research lab where they would be getting three-dimensional high-definition camera footage. It's so rare. It has happened, but it's so rare. Ten, it tends to be little video clips where you really don't know what you're looking at and people's belief kicks in as to whether it's real or not. Someone asked me about the seance cabinet. Why do you sit in a cabinet? Well, there's two reasons. One is, I suppose... I, you don't have to, but it's quite comfortable once you get used to it. But also, I was told that, as you just said, the spirit people or the en energies feel safe in that cabinet that because they're you can watch them whizzing around you, but they feel safe in that cabinet. And, of course, next time you sit, you've got more energy and so on and so forth. So what you said is, is kind of backs up that claim. They yeah. don't want to be seen. There's also a sense of theatricality, though. I mean, you need to flick a switch inside your head mm. that enables spirit to work with you better. Mm. And what better switch than to dress in a particular way or go through mm. a ritual in a particular way or cover yourself in a cabinet in order that the phenomena can build up before stepping out into the room. And I've had uh, Alan, Gordon Higginson, when he came to Glasgow, gave a public demonstration in which spirit children were running. Mm. Uh, down the aisles and interacting with the audience. But people didn't see which orifice the ectoplasm was emanating from. Mm. And, uh, you know, I, I think um, there have been lots of stories of people disturbed during demonstrations of physical phenomena and being injured as a result. Albert Bess is a case in point, and it has happened to me. Um, he hemorrhaged for three days. I only felt as if I'd been punched in the stomach. But you... It, there are safety concerns. And if a medium says, I don't want the light to be put on, don't put the light on, no. even if you're desperate to uncover some hoax because you've no idea what you're dealing with and it could be injurious. Um, real harm can come from, from doing these kind of things. Better to work with spirit in an, uh, uh, with positive expectation and trust that you will get the evidence in due course that is genuine. I explained a couple of weeks ago, I sat with, uh, well, it was, it was um, about 30 in a circle, and um, I was I went out to shake a hand that was, wasn't was attached to anything. That was, a, that was a weird experience, I've got to be honest. Um, but I explained a couple of weeks ago, the control called me over, and I'll speak to the, 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 the trumpet, science trumpet was in midair. And I held the trumpet. I'd never done this before. I was new to new to it. 
I put the trumpet down and then I got this burn and I, I got burned. The skin came off my side. I didn't know this until the lights went on. It took 12 hours for that to go off. And I've come to the conclusion, and I said this a few weeks ago to, when Richard was on here, I didn't know, but sitters in a seance can produce the ectoplasm. Mm -hmm. And I wondered whether when I went to pick that trumpet up, there was a clash. And I happened to be the one in the middle. And I got burnt. And I, I, I have never been in so much pain in my life. Um, I think we still had about an hour to go. So I couldn't even look. As you know, you can't walk out of a seance room. Um, that was my sort of first experience, really, of, of being of getting injured. So if you're actually the medium, and that goes back inside your body, like you did with Helen Duncan, game over, really. I think there are there are questions to be asked about methodologies. I mean, do you want to have your seance in a uh, a wooden floor or a, a, a lush carpet? Well, the answer is the wooden floor is better than lush carpet because the lush carpet contains lots of dust and fibres and if the ectoplasm is moving at floor level, it's going to pick up some of these things and if it shoots back into your body, it will take some of that stuff with it mm -hmm. and you've got a toxic reaction. Um, but um, uh, I, I see a question coming up there. Um, do you, Nick, do you think uh, folks should also contact the darker elements by mistake or by choice? <laughs> okay, well, I know Bill well. Um, uh, I think uh, never try and contact darker elements by choice because they're only going to bring down your energy. They're, 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 I think you need to keep yourself elevated and love and kindness and compassion are all uplifting uh, feelings and experiences. So don't do that by choice. I have come across negative energies um, only three times in total in my life. In the 30 years of investigating hauntings, I don't think that's too bad. Uh, but I always ask for protection. I'm always very positive, and I try and stay that way. Can you contact negative entities by accident? Well, a question that I was going to ask yesterday evening, but I'm, I'm going to keep it, is... How do you know that the people you're communicating with in spirit are who they say they are? In Macbeth, uh, it was a, a quotation uh, is that um, sometimes the powers uh, of darkness betray us in, uh, 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 with honest trifles. Uh, they betray us. Um, no, sometimes the powers of darkness uh, give us honest trifles to betray us in deepest consequence. Uh, sorry for not getting the quotation right the first time. The idea being you can get things that seem superficially attractive or positive, but actually it's to lure you into a relationship that will become harmful or destructive. Um, I think the question is a fair enough question. And here's my answer uh, to, to Bill and anyone else. I have been, uh, very early in my career, I was accused by fundamentalist Christians of working with the devil, yeah? And that's a fearful reaction from people who are ignorant, yeah? But you still have to answer it. Well, here's my answer. The devil doesn't do good works. 
the devil's not into healing and making people feel that there is a point to this life and trying harder to do good works and be of service to your fellow man and treating other people the way you want to be treated and elevating your conscious awareness and expanding your sense of self and linking with universal love and harmony. The devil isn't interested in any of that stuff, if indeed the devil exists. But the darker side would lead you into some kind of spiritual or emotional cul-de-sac where it's difficult to extricate yourself. You want a physical analogy? Jump into a mud pit and see how easy it is to get out. You'll be covered in the stuff. It will stay with you for a while. It will stain you for a while. Whereas, go towards the light, yeah, you might create the odd shadow in your wake, but you're only going to feel drawn like a moth to a flame to, to go higher and higher and faster and lighter and brighter and eventually, maybe, lose that sense of identity that allows energies to be diffracted like a rainbow and you keep the, the wholeness and the unity of the light and these are metaphysical or spiritual kind of ways to speak i don't feel the need to speak like that all the time but if you're going to talk about light and dark let's be clear i only work in the light and somebody will be sitting there saying yeah but you were in darkened rooms uh-huh and i would say that's right and spirit came in and lit them up there's a compliment for you. I love your passion when you talk. There you go, Nick. There's a compliment for you tonight. Um, look, I'm trying to get this thing here. <laughs> Sue, if anything rejects any doubt, any doubt, would it would, would be that joint experience you had, Nick? What a riveting time for you. It was in uh, 1996 and uh, uh, 1997. And I can say to you, hand on heart, I've never experienced anything like it before. I have experienced things like it since, but it was after 10 years of effort. And I don't credit myself for the effort. Can I tell your, your uh, audience uh, one of the secrets of successful physical mediumship? Yeah? yeah. Um, and only secrets in the sense that they're not very well promoted. Uh, maybe because there's no money in it. Um, the uh, What I would say is replace scepticism with wonder. Replace doubt and criticism with an excited acceptance that things are getting better. Work with people as if they are the same stuff as you and deserve the same treatment as you and be blessed when you're in the company and you will generate all sorts of phenomena in or out of the seance room but distance yourself as i was talking earlier and say oh no you're a kind of hoax or a scam or a crook a thief or, you know you're not to be trusted i don't believe a word that comes out of your mouth and stuff and what you do is you create a gulf between you and the other person and the only stuff that's going to come out of that will be negative. There you go. Hello, Trevor. Okay. Hi, Nick. Are you collating um, information and evidence to put forth a scientific paper? Yeah. Um, no, I'm not going to put out a scientific paper, um, uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why. 
The skull experiments were the subject of a 300-page report that was done by uh, two professors and one gentlemanly scholar. And it was rubbished by people who weren't there, but who felt pompous enough to express a judgment on it. Um, and I don't have time for that kind of engagement. Um, David, Professor David Fontana, Professor of Psychology, he was astounded by what he saw, and he said that uh, his experiences over three years were highly suggestive of a discarnate intelligence. Now that's about as close as a scientist can come to saying it's spirit or it's other dimensional, but it ain't normal, it's paranormal. And his uh, companion in the investigation, Professor Arthur Ellison, um, the Professor of Electrical Engineering, he studied it from a different perspective at the same time for three years, and he was left in no doubt and risked his scientific reputation by coming out and saying so. I mean, this is more damaging to scientific credibility than saying you're gay or something like that. You know, it's, it's, it's something that a physics professor friend of mine said, a lot of stuff in physics is rubbish, but don't ever say it because you'll lose your tenure. Um, so what, what so what would I do? Um, can I tell the experience of, of going to Canada just briefly, Alex? I went to, to a barbecue, a weekend event uh, for Canadian paranormal investigators. And when I turned up, we were all to pose a question or tell a story around the campfire. And it was very pleasant, and I still, I still have good memories of that. And when it came to my turn, I looked around the group, and they were strangers to me. And I asked them to just do a rough calculation of how many years of paranormal investigations and inquiries they carried out. And it was more than two centuries worth. It was probably nearer three centuries worth. Okay. So we, we can total up here 200 to 300 hours of inquiry into alleged paranormality. What have we learned? What have we learned from our first hand efforts? Not from the television, not from reading books, not from talking to other people, but as a result of our own efforts. I mean, if I said to you, Alex, I want you to invest 40 years of your life in something, but it's not going to lead to anything guaranteed, you would certainly hesitate, mm. but then you play the guitar, so maybe you wouldn't, you know. Um, <laughs> you, you end up, you, you recognise that, was this a fruitful area for study? Okay, so what have you learned? And I left it with them, and six years later, I returned to the same group, in the same barbecue, in the same location, and as I walked towards the group, the guy pointed and said, there he is, that Scotsman who asked us that question that's caused so much bloody discussion over the years. He said, and I've got your answer. He said, you asked, what have I learned that I'm confident is true, true enough to pass to my children on my deathbed? as a result only of my own efforts. I said, and here's my answer. Love is all there is. It's all, love, everything. It's connected in an expression of love. And I said, yeah, that's a really good answer. That's better than my answer. I said, here's my answer, having spent 30 years of my life looking into the paranormal. What would I write in a post-it note to my children that I was sure 
was correct as a result of my own efforts. And here it is for your audience, reflect on this as I have. There is more to life than you can measure. Go find it. Very good. Oh, there's one for you. When I was in a nasty marriage, if we argue, things would fly at my husband. What cause is that in your opinion? <laughs> uh, telekinesis is a well-known um, ability in some people to uh, manipulate physical objects. And in your head, at some level, you'd be wanting to throw things at your husband, uh, uh, but you didn't realise that actually you could generate the energy to do that. I don't think it's you calling your spirit guide like a minder to say, hey, attack him. I think it's more some kind of mental and emotional energy that you're not aware of, but it's directed through anger at your target. But hey, uh, I, I don't comment on things that I don't know much about, um, and I've, uh, uh, I would be happy to say she's got a better idea than me because she was in the situation. Yeah, it's uh, interesting the kinetic energy, isn't it? I yeah. I often wonder that myself. You know, but when these things, as I said before, things fly off shelves in the supermarket. I haven't done it for a couple of months, but I think, well, why is this? Why is this? Why is this happening? Um, I say it stopped for a while, and then other bits and pieces. You see things in here. Sometimes that have been moved around, you think. I mean, I, I put a cup on the on the worktop, turn around, the cup's gone. Turn back and it was back again. You know, is it spirit? Is it someone just playing around? I don't really know. There's a question. This is this is significant, really, to something that happened before we started. Mm -hmm. Emma experienced um, a lot of activity in a building in, in Great Yarmouth. And... Um, I've mentioned this before, mm -hmm. and I gave I gave her a message. Give Emma a message one evening at one of our one of the gigs, and it was from a pirate, a smuggler, who told her that he didn't want her or anyone going in the basement of her shop. Well, before we started tonight, I had a message from uh, Sue Slatford. People who know her, a psychic artist, I've, I've done work of work with on a few, well, quite a few occasions, and she said. There was a programme on TV this evening about a boy that was lost or they or they found him out from, from way back in the river at Yarmouth. And it was in Emma's shop where this little boy came through. This must be, what, five, six years ago. And Sue said, do you think it's the same boy that came through? He came through to her, actually. I think he came through in a drawing as well. Anyway, it's sort of five, six years have gone by. They're doing a documentary on this this kid tonight. So there you go, Emma. It all happened in your shop. Emma might be responding to something I said earlier, which is um, how over time some spirit people move on because they're still evolving and whatnot. So I'd like to just clarify things. Uh, first of all, uh, Roman soldiers are frequently seen uh, around York and ancient battles or something's recreated periodically. Um, I'm not saying that spirit people have to be modern to be noticed. 
Uh, what I am saying, though, is a generalisation to which there will always be exceptions, is that most mediums find it easier to contact people with whom there is a current bond with someone who's alive on Earth. In other words, a present, recent passing is more likely in a mediumship demonstration than somebody who lived four or five hundred years ago, who might not even speak English the, the way we do nowadays. Um, and of course, there's very little chance of uh, evidential communication when you can't even figure out anything about them because it was so long ago. Um, and I've known, uh, you know, older uh, spirits to come through, but not as a generalisation. And you can understand, uh, what would the point be in bringing through somebody who existed 300 years ago and speaks in Middle English or something? You want to bring through somebody who's grieving, uh, somebody who's who's needing uh, comfort in this, this line, uh, this life, and bring through spirit, because spirit responds to emotion. And if everybody that the spirit person knew is gone over at the spirit side, there'll be lots of communication on the spirit side. But what's the what's the motivation to drive through this dense energy when the people they loved are already on their side? But so that's the point I would make. It's not that you can't have uh, ancient things. Uh, what I've noticed, because I've come across uh, cavaliers and roundheads and and, uh, and people from uh, last century, uh, not often, but on occasions, it's because there's unfinished business. It's because they're attached to the place. It's because they don't recognise the place has changed. They might be walking, as the Roman soldiers did, through a pub in York, uh, an elevated space where there's no longer a path, but they're still following the path that existed years ago, and, uh, and things have changed in the modern sense. And those are what I would call um, non-interacting ghosts or apparitions. The interacting ones have a keen sense in what's happening in your life now, even if they died a few years ago. Mm. Yeah. I mean, this this story that came through, if I remember, I think we were, we were going into the basement and I, I take my camera. Anyway, he came this evening and I don't remember much about what I give. But he was like a smuggler and he said, I don't want her or anyone going in there again. Well, two days later, I did. I tried to go down there. Didn't actually own the basement. But my camera, uh, the, the, the lens broke, the, the screen broke, and the, the, the screen on my, cat, on my phone cracked as well. So there was a vice. Don't go down there. And I wouldn't go down there either. Um Ah, oh, Mike, this has been the most sensible and understandable discussion on the upper realms I have heard in years. Brilliant, guys. Well, brilliant, Nick. <laughs> no, no, really I'm, good. I'm feeding off of you, Alex, and, uh, and responding to you, so we should share that kind of appreciation. Yeah, thank you. Stacy, I have the power. Ah, you've you got do, the power. You do. Stacey, you've always had the power, and I don't mm. know you as a, as a person, but I can tell you that in my experience of working with people, we are all much more powerful than we know. There is a sense in which we are our own gods or deities, but I don't want to get hooked up in spiritual discussions. I would simply say 
we've been to the moon and we've been to Mars, but we still don't understand our own minds, and that's only a few pounds of grace there. Well, Stacey, you're with me next week, aren't you? So, <laughs> see, what, see what happens next week. Um, the power. I've not met Stacey. Somebody suggested to me, haven't I? Um, oh, Stacey, she's had some experiences and quite fascinating stuff. And I just sent her a message and she, yeah, she said, oh, come on. So, yeah. be, be, be nice to meet you. And um, I know yeah. she's got she's got some interesting stories to tell. Um I don't like the thought of throwing things at people while I'm angry with uh, well it's not um, you is it yeah can I can I say Stacey that uh, a journalist friend of mine once said something and it took me years to accept it but he was right he said there are very few things in life worth arguing about such a waste of psychic energy that could be used more productively <laughs> exactly there we go Alien Bill. Met a Roman soldier next to York race course a few years ago while filming light beings amongst the trees. Touched me twice on my right shoulder. Hmm. Not heard you talk about that before, Bill. Yeah. That suggests an interactive ghost, doesn't it? Hmm. The, the ghost was aware, the apparition was aware that Bill was there and that uh, there was some sort of uh, energy exchange or communication. And the soldier touched Bill on the shoulder to let Bill know that this spirit communicator was very much alive and well and aware. So not all Roman soldiers have to be the kind of uh, video play of a uh, stone tape theory. <laughs> but the Christine. Yeah. Can... Got a little victory on my stairs. I suppose what they like say so much. Very quick succession. I call him comets shot over, and who is that was said? It's as if I was encroaching in their space. I've actually, Christine sent me those videos, and there is, there's, there's, there's a lot of uh, sort of lights. I don't know, can't see on it, can you? Uh, quite, quite large flashes of light going along the stairs and down the stairs. So I don't know about encroaching on your on their space, but they're obviously there. Um, seems things are quiet down a bit for you now. Getting back to the skull and, and, and the physical mediumship, really, um, Nick, do you think that um, you say there's some groups in Glasgow, and I know I've asked before, but do you think that will ever come back again? Do you think you'll ever get anything? Yes. Like you do? Yes. I think it will come back, and I think it can be experienced by people where the conditions are right. And by conditions, I'm referring to the sitters and the relationship between the sitters, and then the relationship between the group of sitters and the uh, elevated levels of consciousness that are necessary to anchor heaven on earth or, or to make that, that link. Um, I mean, I've seen things since at school, uh, particularly in the company of the Andersons, that uh, I've left them at my jaw dropped, you know, partially materialized beings in which you can touch their hand, but the body is not there, in which you can touch a child's face, but, but not the skull and not the hair. 
because he only brought part of them through. And then when you express some kind of disappointment, shaming me for doing that, the mm. kid says, you know what, mister, next time you come here, I'm going to come back, but I want a hug. If you want me to bring all of me through, I want a hug. And then the pit apart are a tiny feet. He jumped into my lap a week later, and I got the hug. And I can say to you that to the best of my ability, that child was physically there and real. There was no adult who was that size in the room or the building, you know. It was a secure location, and the spirit child was delighted to make physical contact with someone because that's not what they're used to now in the spirit world. It's a non-physical existence, usually. I've had objects whiz past my head and go into the wall without creating damage. They don't always come back. I've had tables rise up and go into the ceiling. They don't always come back, but when they do, they never damage the ceiling. What is that about? The ability to materialize and dematerialize. Well, we asked Spirit, and they said, you don't have the capacity to understand the difference between physical and non-physical. So what we'll do is we'll give you the closest thing using your language. When we work with you, we create a carbon copy in our world of what is in your world. And we have found that when we manipulate stuff in our world, you see the effects. So it's some kind of energy entanglement where they manipulate things in their world and something disappears or reappears in ours. But it's an unsatisfactory kind of analogy, I suppose. But they say that's the best we can do because you know so little. I received a message from Spirit World here, where I am now. Oh, it must be three years ago, four years ago. And I it just, just wrote, like I suppose they call it automatic writing. but And the, the message was, we're fed up with what you're doing down there now. I'll take it down here. Because everything is concerned with, I suppose, money and all sorts of things. But... We want you to go back to the old ways. And the old ways is home circles, sitting around the table. That's how I see it. And maybe people aren't going to like it. But since this um, pandemic and, and the places are closed down, there's not many meetings anymore, I wonder if this is part of what they were getting at. You know, are things going to open again? Oh, the old lady's going to want to go out to the church because it is mostly older people, isn't it? And um, that's what they said to me. And I've, I've written it. I've put it it's on my Facebook page. I've read it out in, in, a, in a serious church. Um, I, I, I can understand some of that uh, because I think traditionally uh, in the early days of spiritualism, dedication, frequency, turning up, reliability, regularity, these things were somehow easier because belief was so high, expectation was so high. The reality of spirit communication was, was seen to be something new and exciting. Now, well, how many millions of video clips are out there and people claiming to say you know, stuff and they'll let you into secrets if you just give them a little bit of money and stuff. <laughs> I think we're in a, a different type of lifestyle 
in which commitment and dedication are no longer to be assumed. Mm. Indeed, yeah. some people would say we don't even have the attention span. If you can't get something in a sound bite, a lot of people switch off. And unfortunately, as a teacher, I see that in youngsters, we're creating a new generation of people with very short attention spans. Okay. And we're educating, we're, we're conditioning them to be like that with the use of the overuse of technology. But there's a sense in which I disagree. And it's only that traditional physical phenomena involves ectoplasm. That is still possible, but it's not necessary. Um, Tom and Linda Anderson uh, and also the school uh, experimental group were finding that there was a lighter form of energy that wasn't so injurious to the, and so taxing in the medium that could still produce the same phenomena. And it was maybe more refined um, and uh, it was felt that that was a new development, although it's 20 years ago now. And they can use that in the light, can't they, as well? with the uh, this new energy, energy-based. Uh-huh. And it doesn't emanate from orifices the way no. the old traditional thing was. Uh, uh, so traditional values, maybe, traditional uh, expectations and commitment, but maybe um, new types of energy. You know, that picture behind me says my, my grandma, 1911 that was taken. I don't know if anyone can see it. There she is in all her glory. Yeah. And she was probably off to a seance at that time, which would have been a physical seance, sitting around the table, anybody there, all that stuff. But they got results, didn't they, Nick? They got results. But they did it week in, week out. They got results. But the evidence that they got results may have faded with time because they didn't those days have the kind of technology to do environmental monitoring, video recording, so, yeah. But it doesn't take away from the fact that, that they have gone on record as saying these things happen. Mm. And what I would say is, and they can still happen nowadays. Well, I hope so, because I'm, I'm well into it, um, as people know, and uh, Oh, still, still looking, but I think we have to keep looking. Well, might as well just give yeah. up. Can, can I uh, prompt your, your audience to consider a different form of physical mediumship? And it's healing. Healing is physical mm. mediumship because you're having a physical effect on the person's body. And uh, assuming you're successful, of course, uh, and yet a lot of people think of physical mediumship as it has to be done in the dark and see if it's dangerous and it's devilish or whatever. No. Healing is a perfectly valid and, and attractive form of physical mediumship. So I meditate regularly and teach meditation and uh, every week in life I meditate and send healing energies to people. And I find it to be almost always effective. I've never really known, I've out of hundreds of times, maybe once or twice, it doesn't seem to have worked, but um, it, there's a positive benefit. Um, and I would do, I would recommend healing to anyone trying to uh, elevate their mediumship. 
um, apart from the good that can be done in terms of actual healing, it raises your awareness that you're of service to other people because you're thinking about it powerfully, it's a positive, and you're linking into spirit and you're saying, go there and do the work that, that I believe is possible. Stacey, what do you think spirit want us to do in the future? Is it as simple as to love one another? Mm. What did Jesus say? You know, love the Lord your God and love each other. Love your neighbour as yourself, was his alleged words. So I'm not going to say, uh, but he missed something. He was... I need to kind of confer with them before I can agree. I would just accept that as yes. Um, but there is another another um, modern perspective, and that is if we accept that we are made of the same stuff and that we're all from a base of the same energy, we're just different, diffracted, different versions of it. You know, when white light comes down, if you if you put it, uh, a prism in front of you, you will see it diffracted into the colours of the rainbow. It's still the same light, but it's changed in different forms for your eyes to pick up. I believe that the human body diffracts energy, not just light, and expresses it in different ways in different parts of the body. And I think if we recognize that we're all made of the same stuff, the same zero-point energy field, the same universal life force and love, then it will be much more likely that we can love each other because to the extent that we can love ourselves, there is no, there is no there and here. There is no you and me as being exclusive and separate and divided. That's a, a fiction of our making. That's the overthinking of people's minds. That's the dark side. To recognize that we're actually at the deepest possible level the same. Even time. Time as a human construct to separate things stop us feeling that everything's happening at once but it's only a human concept spirit tell us they perceive time differently can i respond to what trevor's saying yeah is the new lighter energy because the frequency is raising here on the planet um i would like to think so if i was a betting man i would say i hope so and i would I would back it up with action. But there's a bit of me says, you know what? If recorded history has shown us anything, it's that people always say the best is yet to come. Mm. Or or the flip side, it's Armageddon. We've all lived through the year 2000. Look how many people got upset because they thought the world was coming in and they're quoting my end calendars and all the rest of it. Paul mm. in the Bible 2000 years ago said, look, if you want to get married, then it's better to marry than burn and last. But Jesus is just kind of coming, so can you not hold off a bit? 2,000 years later, I'm not aware of that having happened. So the world is full of expectations for the future, and I would suggest to you that most of them don't happen. 
The ones that are shouted the loudest probably don't have empty vessels and all that. Interesting. Stacy, I look forward to sharing my experiences when I had a meeting in my NDE. Yeah, I, I have been told about this. I don't know the story, so I'm looking forward to that one. That's next week, guys. Say uh, Stacy Spark. I don't know. Um, um, somebody mentioned Stacy the other day about this NDE, so could be quite fascinating. Get your questions ready, guys. Yeah. There's a lot, of, uh, a lot of scientific evidence has come out of NDEs uh, and also end-of-life experiences, not just near-death experiences. And uh, ELEs, I think we call them. And uh, uh, lots of evidence is building up that consciousness, awareness, uh, intelligence is not restricted to the gray stuff, the brain. And the extent to which you accept that there is something bigger than yourself to be experienced, um, NDEs begin to make more and more sense because you're momentarily tapping into that. Um, there's some famous stories of people having NDEs and experiencing things they couldn't possibly have known. Um, and many of these NDE experiences are transformative. I'm happy to go with that. I don't particularly like the idea that it's just chemical neuron synapses that kind of happen in the brain. Um, so I listen with interest to people and I may well listen next week. Yeah, yeah. tune in. It should be um, should be quite interesting. So, so I've never. I don't know Stacy. I've never met her. I've met her yet. So it's all new to me. So. But, well, is, uh, anyone got any more questions for, for Nick before we uh, sh shut down? Oh, that's unlike these. They normally got loads and loads. Ah, what's this? I've heard the human soul is like ramming a rainbow into a Coke bottle. It doesn't all fit, but people don't realise that. Yeah, they are. Um, I mean, as a proposition, I would say the human soul is so vast, eternal and infinite and composed of the very source of universal energy. Our souls can pretty much cope with anything because there is no Coke bottle to hold it. We are part of an enormous all that is. Um, but hey, I, I, I'm open to persuasion. Um, yeah. What do you plan to do in the future? I don't know if that's you or me, Nick, or both of us, or everybody. I'm quite sure. Um, I plan to be of service. I think that's why I'm on the planet. Um, yeah. I'll be of service to whoever I come across in, in as many ways as I can. But in, 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 at a lower level, and just in terms of action steps, um, I'm looking forward to writing my very first book, um, I have actually written other books for other people, but I'm looking forward to writing my own. And the reason is because I think there are lots of believers who have lost a sense of how to evaluate evidence and how to investigate and research and learn so you can build on that. And there are lots of scientists who should shut up. 
because <laughs> their belief system is mainly theory and they don't like to hear that their scientific methods are restricted to the physical, mainly. Um, physical manifestations of concepts, maybe. Um, they would be uh, better off just accepting that there is something beyond the physical and, mm -hmm. uh, and be a little less arrogant. Here's, a, here's an arrogance that most people have. I don't know about you, Alex, but I, mean, I would include myself in this, in this category. Assuming, because we are ready, that spirit will just jump to it. <laughs> the arrogance of that, you know, as if we are the center of the universe, and if we decide something, well, it should happen. Maybe spirit are so busy getting on with their lives that to us, we seem like dreams to them. And yes, they can work with us, but my God, it's so difficult. I mean, one spirit communicator said to me, there's 500 of us in this team, and we're trying really hard. <laughs> right? Maybe we should accept that if spirit don't engage, it's because they're doing something better elsewhere. Good answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think people do expect yeah, expect it. Having said that, I've got to do a gig Friday night, and I haven't worked since January this year. It's because of this, <laughs> I'm going to be going. <clears throat> I have to disagree with there, Nick. Where are you guys? <laughs> Where are you? But um, it's not so much. It's just when I work, because I come to somebody, I see the communicator. This has taken years to, to, to develop, I suppose. So I'm hoping they're going to be there, but you've, you've, you're right. They, they are busy. And if we draw a blank, I've got an excuse now. Well, they're busy. No one around tonight. <laughs> but mm -hmm. I, I have to say, I'm, I get nervous. I've told you before, doing this before we start. I'm even more nervous about doing this Friday. But um, you, you're right. You can't expect them to be there. It's... Uh, one of the reasons I stopped doing private readings, I, I don't do them. One thing, I've got other things to do, but it became like a, a bit like a production line, you know, one after the other. And I thought, well, I don't, I don't really like this because you yeah. begin to lose the contact with the spirit world. People would disagree, but this is what happened to me. And I thought, well, I don't really want to do this now. I don't mind doing a platform. I can work for up for two, two and a half hours. And um, it's great because you're interacting with the people. But I, I gave up with the private readings. Um, simple reason, I just found it. Yeah, you do. I was, I was yeah, getting uh, sort of worn out, not tired, but I just weren't making a connection. I suppose you could work psychically, but I, I don't really do that. Yeah. I, I, I think that, that readings, whether they're done privately or in a group, are best when there's an emotional need that's being met. Mm. And simply the ability to pay money and sit and claim a little bit of a medium's time is sometimes not enough to get that strength of emotional bond. Sometimes it works, but um, my, in my experience, and I'm not... A medium who does a lot of platform work and I, I only do it when, spontaneously when I feel uh, I should. Um, 
Well, I think the main message that I would want to give your audience with a with a a, a title like Tales from the Seance Cabinet <laughs> is I would take away the word tales and I would make it true life accounts. So you can still keep your tea. True life accounts. Mm. And and the true life accounts are See all the stuff that you've read about and all the stuff you've heard about, it can happen. Oh, definitely. The only reason it hasn't happened is because of you. And I don't mean you, Alex. I mean the, the person who wants the experience. That's where the barriers come in. That's where the confusion comes from and the limitations and so on. I mean, as a teacher, I would say to youngsters wanting to learn, the only person who can put a ceiling in your achievement is you. Mm. Why would you want to do that when you don't even know what it is that you don't know? Don't put a ceiling in your own achievement. And and young mediums who say, but I don't want to say this, but in case it's me. <laughs> I say, no, 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 no. Say it and accept that it could be you and time will tell. The, the response from the receiver will tell you and then you'll be able to refine your technique. You don't experience very much by bottling it up and not giving it out. This has been my argument. I've seen them and they go, oh, I can't say this and I can't say that. Someone said to me once, can't you filter your messages for a Sunday? I said, no. What is the point? That one word that you may not like, I mean, I don't get it like that. Now it comes out of my mouth. Mm. Well, I don't know what's coming. And no comments from you lot. I don't know what's coming. So I can't filter it anyway. But that's what I was asked once. Can't you filter for Sunday? It doesn't work like that. Because that one word that you may want to filter might be that word for that, that that bit of evidence. So, yeah. What's this? I do know a medium have burned out from too many readings. They stopped for a few months, regrouped, and it's back on good form. Something to watch out for. Yeah, that's that's how I felt. Yeah. Mm. Burnout exists in people's careers and their everyday 3D life, mm. and it exists in their linking with 4D or other dimensions of existence. Um, it's a shame. Uh, Stacey, I've loved listening this evening. Thanks, guys. Oh, thanks for listening, Stacey, and see you next week. Yeah. See you next week, Stacey. Well, I suppose it's getting to that time. I mean, it goes so quick, Nick. Honestly, it flies by. But all I can say, um, I know you're a busy man, and um, thanks for, for giving us your time and, and your knowledge and a very interesting evening. Yeah. And, and I'm um, talking about ayahuasca. I haven't spoken about ayahuasca. That I no, you haven't, have you? In Peru. And, and my views on drug-induced experiences. So you'll need to invite me back, Alex. Oh, God, yeah, yeah, you'd have to come back. Um, I, you know, I've not heard of that until you, you and a few guys spoke about it. Yeah. Um, I do know that years ago, some mediums, they did, well, look at Sherlock Holmes, Arthur Conan Doyle. That was a bit supernatural. But Sherlock used to go down, didn't he, to the opium dens and have a, have a little puff. And I do, I've read that mediums of the past did maybe have a whiskey or a little something just to calm their nerves. I personally wouldn't do that. I never did it 
as a musician. I, I like to keep a clear head, but each their own. And um, well, I'm a, say. Medium, a medium friend of mine, um, a gifted uh, physical medium, said to me, um, uh, "You you can uh, drink alcohol and still give a, de a good demonstration, but you are making it difficult for spirit to work. Why would you want to do that?" And then he went further. He said, "And the same applies to eating red meat." Why would you want to eat the flesh of another animal and then link with spirit? What, what's going on in your head? The animal is part of you. Mm. Uh, because it's this idea of we all share the same life energy. And uh, and I've often uh, reflected on that. And I, I don't eat red meat very often, but for people who are looking for um, uh, stimulating takes on this subject that we call mediumship, Maybe considering doing without red meat might help. Right. Well, when I go to uh, Morrison's tomorrow then. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't eat much meat. Never have done, really. But uh, um, we will, yeah, we'll have you back. We'll say, I, we will have you back anytime. I, after next week, I don't know. I'm thinking of maybe stopping for a few weeks because the school's got the school holidays, you've got barbecues. Not at the moment because it's probably raining outside. I don't know, but um, we got some nice comments, uh, Nick. Um, great evening, thanks, Emma, Bill. We're both talented. Oh, that's a Budweiser. All right, Bill. Um, <laughs> Rain. Very yeah. interesting. If, wow. if people in the audience want to improve their mediumship, here's the simplest thing I can suggest: meditation. Okay. Meditation has helped me enormously in all sorts of ways. I'm a great believer in quieting yourself down and letting the universe speak to you. There you go. Yeah. Thanks, Carol. Thanks for your kind words about me. That's all right, Stacey. <laughs> anyway, there you go. Thanks for your contribution, Bill. Your collective wisdom and knowledge has been the wonderful to hear. Well, here we go. Yeah. Oh, meet you in Scotland. Teresa, thank you for this evening. Loved it. Thank you, Teresa. Well, better let Nick go mm -hmm. because it's, the time has whizzed by once again. Um, yeah, we, we will get, well, we'll probably see you next Saturday on the Zoom. Is it Saturday? No, yeah. Saturday. Yeah, I think I won't make it next Saturday. I've got a, a social engagement, but I'll certainly try, even for some of the time. And um, I'll see Alien Bill. I've got a house guest with me just now who's in the next room and uh, oh. said you need to give me a couple of hours. So he's overdosing on some uh, TV box set. But um, So I will say uh, good night and thanks for the invitation, Alex. Uh, it's been new and different for me and it's it's great to talk about spirit successful manifestations and mm, i know that i'm looking forward to you coming to scotland so that i can learn more about your spirit manifestations oh i don't get any manifestations <laughs> but um i will have to yeah i do want to take a trip to scotland um obviously so you're gonna to have to wait a while, a bit longer. I would invite everyone to Scotland. I think Scotland's a great place. You know? So do I. Experience spirit in a new way. 
In fact, a message come up earlier from somebody in Oban. Oh, yeah. I was in Oban last weekend. Um, and I don't know where she's gone. Oh, I've got to find her. Anyway, she's somebody really early on from Oban. And I took it that she knows you. So she might not know me, uh, but if she lives in Oban, she's got McCaig's Tower and a wonderful perspective there, and you can really act, interact with the environment there. Well, I can't find her. There's so many people coming here, messages tonight. That, um, anyway, there you go. It was somebody from Oban. I've been to Oban, loved it. Awesome place. Yeah, and that's awesome all the I'll, I'll show you another two dozen. Yeah. yeah. I remember going in a pub there with my wife, and they put the things up at the windows, like, block the windows up. Mm -hmm. uh, he said, you don't have to go. Just wait. <laughs> they had a lock-in, and uh, I don't yeah. know what time I got out of there. Lucky I didn't fall into the into the, into the water there, but what a night. And a Kaylee. Fantastic stuff. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, no good. There's more of that waiting for you. <laughs> I'll say good night. Thanks, Nick. See you when I see you. Thanks very much. Bye. All right. There you go, guys and girls. Um, Nick's gone, and um, see you all next week with Stacy, and um, I'm sure we've been for a for another another good evening. Anyway. Thanks very much, and um, I'm going to get going. See you soon. <laughs>